You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your hosts, Vanessa Weisbrod and Emily Friedner. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. I want to start out by saying a huge thank you to the Walter and Jean Boak Global Autoimmune Institute for their ongoing support and partnership to make this podcast possible. Today's podcast is addressing a topic I really wish we had talked about 14 years ago when I was diagnosed with celiac disease, finding products that actually taste great. I remember the week after I was diagnosed, just standing in the aisles at Safeway and Trader Joe's, and I just wanted to cry. Everything was so expensive, and then when I got home and I opened the packages, I ended up throwing most of it away because it just tasted like cardboard. Thankfully, more than a decade later, products have dramatically improved, and there are resources out there like the Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide to help those living a gluten-free lifestyle find the tastiest products on the market. So I am really excited that we have Josh Schiefer with me today. He's the Vice President of Marketing for the Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide, and he's in the studio with me. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. I Man, I love the work that you've done over the years with uh, those with celiac disease. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, we're so happy to have you, and I have to say I am really thankful for the work that you have done as well. So for our listeners who may not know, can you just tell us more about the Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide and what it is and how it came to be? Sure. Yeah, we had a very similar uh, scenario as you did. It all started with my youngest son, Jacob. He uh, he essentially stopped growing when he was three years old, and we really didn't catch it until he was about four when mm-hmm. uh, I was in the YMCA kiddie pool with him and talking to the other kids and started to realize quickly that uh, he was much smaller than the other kids his age. And uh, after a series of tests, he was diagnosed with celiac disease. And at that time, I have never even heard that term before, and um, mm-hmm. we uh, we were really clueless. And thankfully, we got connected to a, a registered dietitian. Her name is Pat Fogarty in Charlotte. And the interesting thing about Pat is her daughter had celiac disease. And instead of going into the clinic, she invited us into her house. And it was wow. a great experience. She literally opened up her pantry uh, and showed us all of the great products that her family enjoyed. So when we went shopping for that that first time, we we were fairly comfortable. We knew what the products looked like. Um, We had some some guidance. And then uh, fast forward. Yeah, it was was great. Pat is awesome. You know, fast forward six months. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, it's just amazing. Not many dietitians will do that. Yes, right. So fast forward six months, we go to a celiac support group. It was a picnic, and we had never gone to one, and it was about two hours away from Charlotte in Raleigh. And we met uh, the baker for Whole Foods, Lee Tobin there, and we're really uh-huh. excited. And we met a family uh, who was also recently diagnosed, uh, their son, and he had terrible issues, much much more severe than uh, what was showing with our son, Jacob. Um, they weren't financially stable at the time, and they didn't have the same experience with a, a dietitian like we did. Essentially, when they 
their their son was diagnosed, they were given a two-page Xerox copy of Safe Foods to Eat. And, of course, wow. that list contained, you know, meats, vegetables. It didn't have, you know, good cookies or, you know, any of the childhood favorites. And they were really struggling financially to give their son, you know, good food. And so they were broke and they were depressed. Right. And uh, on that that way home from that trip, my wife and I um, just kind of started brainstorming on ways that we can bring that same experience that we had with the dietitian to those recently diagnosed with celiac disease. And that created the gluten-free awards. And then that's changed over the years. We're now going into our ninth year. Wow. And, um, the award results essentially get populated into what's now a buyer's guide. And that's really the, the start of the program. That's incredible. So I know there's lots of products that are included in the guide, but do you break them down by category or how do you decide what goes into the guide? Yeah. So there's a process each year that we go into, we have right now we're, we're sitting at 60 different categories and it, the categories range from food to services. Um, you know, for instance, we have magazines, theater, mac and cheese, nonprofit organizations. Any category you can think of, we pretty much covered it in the guide. But the, the the process each year that we follow is is we we reach out to our our community that we have within the Buyer's Guide and the Awards Program, and we have them nominate their favorite bloggers. And typically, we'll, we'll, we'll get about 20 to 40 bloggers on our list, and we'll ask them to nominate their favorite brands. Okay. Uh, we include those, those uh, products in the uh, ballot. And then we also give companies the opportunity to nominate their products to be voted by the consumers as well. And initially, that was... Uh, you know, in our first year with the Gluten-Free Awards, um, we really didn't have much of a following at all. In fact, when people were voting for their favorites, we, we might have had 300 people in that, that first year. Uh, now uh-huh. we're, we're ranging just over 3,000 uh, people. Wow. And, and so the second year, we were asking these uh, brands to register products so people can vote. And to be honest with you, Vanessa, we were getting a lot of products that we're not worthy to be on a ballot. And so what we did is we, yeah, and it, it became a, a, an administrative nightmare. And we just and didn't feel it was appropriate. Or a nightmare that you had to eat all those things that didn't taste right so good. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because we, we don't uh, personally vote for the products. We give that, uh, that responsibility to the gluten-free community. Okay. So, Essentially, let's take a category like crackers, for instance. Okay. Um, we'll have the bloggers tell us what their favorite crackers are. We'll list those in the ballot. And then let's say a brand like Char says, hey, our table crackers, we feel are the best. And so they'll register their product for that particular category. Now, when the voting goes live, uh, the gluten-free community has the ability to vote for what the bloggers put in and, of course, for Char as well. And oftentimes a blogger will have uh, already nominated, like, the Shark Table Crackers. And uh, through that voting process, which usually is about two months long, 
uh, we'll tally the results and then uh, publish them in, in the buyer's guide. So I personally don't eat all of the submitted products, thankfully. <laughs> okay. But but uh, that the, those first couple of years, um, the barrier to entry for these uh, companies that was essentially none, and so we were getting really subpar products nominated, and we just didn't feel it was right. And of course, it was an administrative nightmare to manage all these um, these products. So what we did is we started charging companies a little bit of money uh, to to submit, and uh, it really just put a little skin in the game. Uh, for for them to be in the awards program, so it's a minimal fee, um, and what it does is it uh, it ensures that if a company is going to nominate their product, they they feel they feel strongly that they have a, a chance at winning. Is there any requirement that the products are available nationally, or could it be a product that's only available, you know, in like one local bakery? Yeah, we you know it's. Um, when when uh, when regional companies reach out to us and they want to be in the awards program, we you know we we do tell them that the, this guide in the awards program reaches an international audience, and if they don't really have the um, the distribution uh, to reach at least the national market, that you know it's probably not right for them. But you know um, we have had like regional bakeries who have the uh, the ability to ship nationally and mm-hmm. and you know they uh, they do very well that's great so how does the voting work can anyone vote yes yeah um, what we do is we, we create a survey and um, it's uh, it's basically uh, a, a hyperlink that uh, could be shared through social media and uh, it allows one computer to vote. So that was the only way we could limit it. We didn't want uh, certain companies to, to, you know, fictitiously vote a million times for their product. So uh, the best way to do that was to limit one vote per IP address. So if you had, uh, I guess there, there might be a little cheating if you had like a cell phone and a laptop, those two devices would be able to vote. But uh, basically uh, anybody in the industry and in the gluten-free community can vote. That's great. So I know you said that you don't taste everything, but has there ever been a time when the voting has come in and you totally disagreed with it because you had another product that you thought was better? You know, that happens every year in a lot of categories. I, you know, I have my personal favorites and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about creating a, uh, editor's choice award, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. really it's, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's about, it's about the community, and it's about giving those of us with celiac disease and gluten intolerance a voice. And uh, I really feel like we're starting to drive uh, what some of the distributors are stocking, or at least giving the stores available to purchase. Uh, I just recently got off um, a call with a fairly large uh, natural fruit foods distributor who was um, – reviewing the 2018 buyer's guide and had a few questions about some of the brands he had never heard of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after that discussion, it was very obvious he was going to be making some of those phone calls and, and uh, stocking his distribution center with some of the award winning products. 
And, you know, ultimately that that's just great for the gluten-free consumer because what we're going to start seeing is, is products that we truly love on the store shelves where, you know, you and I have been gluten-free for many years and we've seen some of the brands that um, are commonly placed in, in the stores and they're not the best. I totally agree with you. And, you know, the other thing I think is really interesting, so in our clinic we see kids, you know, from very, very young ages through teenagers, and it's really interesting. If you put, you know, 10 of them around a table and ask them what their favorite gluten-free bread is, I would say a couple will agree, but almost everyone will have a different opinion, and they'll feel really strongly about it. So I think what's nice about your buyer's guide is that, Maybe we don't always agree with what got number one, two, and three in the in the particular order, but that at least you know if you're looking at it that these are products that a lot of people agree are worthy of you know at least trying or purchasing. Yeah, Vanessa, one of the the, the best things that I hear um, from feedback on uh, Amazon reviews mainly is that um, people are getting exposed to brands that they've never even heard of. You know, yeah. so it, it may have a strong presence on the West Coast or East Coast, and um, they have a, a, a great fan base, enough to get them enough votes to win a national award. And uh, we're exposing um, those that don't have that, that resource to um, a new product. And I know anytime I see a new product that's gluten-free, I get excited. <laughs> you know, it's Absolutely. just uh, it's like finding an Easter egg. Although, you know, I was at a grocery store today um, in New Jersey, and they were touting that they just came out with a whole line of their own, like, um, in-house made gluten-free products. And I was really excited about it. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And so I had my, my four-year-old, Brandon, was diagnosed with celiac last October. He was with me, and he saw muffins, and he got really excited about it. So I picked them up. They were banana muffins, and they were mini banana muffins, so, like, one bite for you and me, maybe two bites for a four-year-old. And it, for six muffins, it was $8. Wow. Like six mini muffins, not even like a normal size muffin. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. You know, this is this is not like a breakfast. Like my four-year-old could eat probably all six of them for breakfast. Um, and I was, I was really stunned about it. Um, so I think that even today there's, Still, you know, the need for education and, you know, this informed decision-making when um, producing gluten-free products. And so I would love to talk to the, to the team that created these muffins. Like, did they sit down with a group of gluten-free families and talk to them about what they wanted? Because yeah, I can't imagine I, I it's a mini muffin for $8. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's what I'm finding, too, in, in the industry is that, the, the buyers or the category managers for these large grocery chains, they're essentially putting what, uh, the gluten-free products on the shelves based off what the distributor has available. And they want yeah. inventory turns. And so sometimes they just leverage the big-name companies. And, uh, you know, our goal really is to change that. And uh, the, the, the discussions we're having with these distributors is, Hey, we have an audience here that is telling you essentially what they want uh, in these grocery stores. So if you truly want inventory turns, perhaps you should start buying some of these award-winning gluten-free products. 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, so, and, and one of the uh, sorry, go one, ahead. One of the things. One of the things I wanted to highlight uh, with the Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide is it really serves two different audiences. It serves the, the consumer, like you and I, who are searching for great-tasting gluten-free products. And it may happen that we have to go to Amazon or we may have to go to a, an online gluten-free retailer to get these products. But what we really like to, to hit is the gluten-free buyer in the industry, uh, again, trying to, to stock the right uh, products for us. Absolutely. I mean, that would be such a huge boost for stores. Um, I, I think that all the time when I'm at grocery stores and, you know, they have what I consider to be, like, the worst products on the market. And I'm like, wow, did you taste that before you purchased it? I know. I, I recently read a, an Amazon review, and um, it was it was interesting. It was like a two star review, right? And so, I'll read I'll read uh, I'll skim through the five star reviews, and then I'll like really dissect and uh, you know mope around the two star reviews. But uh, this particular gentleman was upset with our guy because really the award winning some of the award winning products weren't available. Um, at his local grocery store, and he didn't want to pay shipping from online retailers. And uh, here's one of the things I thought about this morning after reading that was, if you're at a grocery store and they're not carrying the award-winning products that we're highlighting, go to glutenfreebuyersguide.com, send me an email, uh, and, and, and copy or at least give me the name or email address to that grocery store manager, and I'll send them a free copy of the 2018 Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide so they have better purchasing uh, information for, for gluten-free products. That's amazing, Josh. I mean, I, I wish every grocery store just had a copy of it. It would really make them make better choices when stocking the, the aisles of gluten-free products I mean, it would be such an easy thing to do, and it would make the community so happy. So that's right, great. I agree. Um, do you ever suggest to people that they fill out the store request forms to bring in the products? Absolutely. And, in fact, you know, personally what I would do, if there's a page out of the guide that um, you feel strongly about, just rip it out of there and hand it right to the grocery store manager and say, stock these brands. Yeah, and I think people forget that it's not that difficult to do, and that just because the product isn't there today doesn't mean it can't be there tomorrow. Um, I get emails and phone calls from families all the time that are really upset because the store stops carrying their favorite brand of something, and it's probably because the store just it wasn't selling through quickly or they didn't know that people really wanted it. And so going up to the managers and having those conversations can really impact their buying ability. Um, just recently, there was a bagel that my son really liked and the store just didn't have it anymore. And then I went up and I asked him and he said, yeah, we stopped ordering them because the company was only able to supply us with six packages at a time. And we sold through them so mm -hmm. fast that people were getting upset. So we just stopped carrying it. So even though this particular product was selling, it was selling out immediately, they stopped carrying it because they couldn't get it quickly enough. So yeah. um, they were still able to order it, and I was able to order a case for myself and myself. 
so I was still able to get it even though it wasn't on the shelf anymore. Yeah, and one of the things that I am starting to see in our industry is that, back to your point about private labeling, is some of the um, lower price grocery chains, I'll, I'll leave it at that, have done a really good job at um, you know, getting private label products in that are actually affordable for those on the diet that actually taste pretty darn good. I agree. Totally agree. I go to those all the time. (laughs) Um, Although I do have to say that that one of these particular retailers used to have a huge stock of gluten-free pumpkin-themed mixes, but unfortunately um, they decided that November 30th was the end of the season, so they're done for the year, which was devastating to me. But uh, next year I'll have to order a lot of it in advance. (laughs) Yes, that's um, we we ran into that problem last year with the buyer's guide, and uh, we some of the private label brands are are seasonal, and uh, some of them had won awards, and actually people were getting upset because they wanted that award product from that company, and the company asked us actually to remove it from the buyer's guide to uh, eliminate that confusion. So I'm really happy that um, the private label growth is there and that some of the uh, brands that we've been, I wouldn't say forced to eat, but um, some of the brands that have been around for for many years that maybe didn't produce the best quality, um, we're just getting more options, and that's great for us. It really is. So, Josh, what is your long-term vision for the buyer's guide? Gosh, a couple different things. One you know, kind of going back nine years and having that experience with, you know, our dietitian, when when people are getting diagnosed, I would love it if they got a copy of the book right away. You know, I just think it would yeah. really put them at ease knowing that there's 60 different categories and, and they don't really have to suffer being on a gluten-free diet. There is a counterpart, and there's a co- counterpart that tastes great. Absolutely. So that's... That's one vision of the guide. And then really the other vision is this it's a household name. So anybody that has celiac disease or gluten intolerance knows the name, knows the product, and that all the buyers in the industry know it as well. And we really shift what's on store shelves. Yeah. That is that is such a good point. That would just, if everybody was just given a copy of it when they were first diagnosed with celiac disease, it would make such a difference. Right. Well, we'll see what the future holds, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the other thing is, you know, what what drives the gluten-free buyer's guide is the awards. And, and so, you know, one of the visions that I've always had with the awards program is a black tie, you know, affair. And, and, when I introduce people to our brand, you know, often I'll, I'll start off by saying we are the, the Emmys or the Oscars of gluten-free, and I would love to have a black tie event at some point. And, uh, you know, this, this year coming up, we're going to be rolling into our ninth annual gluten-free boards. And Jamie, who is also my wife and co-founder, 
of the brand, we, we think that the 10th annual Gluten-Free Awards will, will probably be released at a black tie affair. That's incredible. I hope that really happens, Josh. I will be there as long as I'm invited. Yeah, you're absolutely invited. Um, you've been there since the very beginning, and I remember several conversations with you and, and words of encouragement. And if it wasn't for you, we probably would have uh, stopped this many, many years ago. So I just want to give you a personal shout-out and thank Aww, you for that. Well, thanks, Josh. That's, that's really nice of you. I'm glad that uh, that we've known each other for so long and that you've, you know, really grown this into something that is, you know, really visible and is getting into the hands of people around the country. It's a very cool resource. Yeah, thank you so much. We- well, Josh, I just want to thank you again for joining us today. This was such helpful information for our listeners. And I just want to remind everyone to be sure to check out the Gluten-Free Buyer's Guide at glutenfreebuyersguide.com. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to today's, today's podcast. And I'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>